Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me as always is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I am sure cannot wait to see what his Tennessee Titans do this weekend against the Washington Commanders. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good, and as far as that game, I'm not, I'm like not weird, but weird at the same time. It feel like a trap game, don't it? Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I mean... Pretty much the AFC South is looking like the AFC North right now when everybody has, like, a similar record. It's like there's one outlier. Like, for y'all, it's Houston, and for us, it's uh, Pittsburgh. But still a long way to go in the season. A lot more stress to be put on us. But we got a big show coming up today. Of course, we are going to talk the NFLPA's investigation into the Dolphins' handling of Tua Tagovailoa's concussions, as well as if maybe it'd be in his best interest to retire. Um, in addition to that, we are going to break down the Eastern Conference, which will be a lot of fun with the season, with the NBA season starting in less than two weeks. And then finally, we are going to give our Extreme Rules 2022 predictions. But before we get to any of that, please should check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow expert writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So like I said, we got a really busy show for you guys, so we are going to bypass the college football player spotlight and go straight into recapping week four. Starting things off, the Dolphins... Um, undefeated streak was ended by the Cincinnati Bengals with their 27-15 uh, Thursday night football win. Seattle outlasts Detroit 48-45. Uh, Buffalo Bills come back against the Ravens 23-20. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings defeat the Saints in London 28-25. Chargers take down the Texans 34-24. Uh, Giants defeat the Bears 20-12. Uh, Eagles come back against the Jags 29-21. Uh, Jets, I guess you can call it an upset. The Pittsburgh Steelers 24-20, to but it still ushers in a new era for the Steel Curtain. Um, the Falcons pound the rock against the Browns to defeat them 23-20. to Your Titans defeat their in-division rival Colts 24-17. to Dallas Cowboys handily defeat the Commanders 25-10. to Cardinals defeat the Panthers 26-16. to Raiders get their first win of the season, beating the Broncos 32-23. to uh, The Packers defeat the Patriots in a surprisingly competitive game in overtime 27-24. to And Chiefs destroy the Bucks on Sunday Night Football, while the score may say otherwise, 41-31. to And then the 49ers prove why the Rams can't hang with them in the regular season, beating them Monday Night Football 24-9. to I went 12 and 4 on the week while Ethan you went 8 and 8. And here are some of the biggest injury news. Uh last week we kind of touched on the Joey Bosa groin injury, but now it's been reported that he's going to be out for the next 8 to 10 weeks, a really long time without a talented edge rusher. Falcons lose starting running back Cordell Patterson for the next four weeks after getting knee surgery. Titans are going to lose rookie wide receiver Traylon Burks for the next few weeks with a turf toe. He's not expected to require surgery. Uh, Broncos suffered a tough couple of blows this past weekend. First, losing defensive end Randy Gregory for the next two to six weeks after having knee surgery. And then losing starting running back Devontae Williams for the year with the knee injury. So, even... I don't know if you've paid a lot of attention to Broncos games, but a big issue has been turnovers, more specifically fumbles. And right now, the biggest um, perpetrator of that is Melvin Gordon. He already has four fumbles this season. I believe two were lost. And actually, they the Raiders were able to score a defensive touchdown 
after one of those fumbles. They brought in Latavius Murray to kind of bring in a body, but do you think that the Broncos should try to make a move at running back to shore up that position? I mean, I could say yes, but the question is, who would they make a move for? Because I feel like all the real viable running backs are already on teams, and they brought in Latavius Murray, who is a a decent alternative, but it's like I don't think there's any good like viable free agent running backs that's out there. Um, and honestly, it's hard because like the whole Broncos offense has been bad. Like the passing game isn't nothing to write home about. The running game isn't hasn't been great. It's been just a, a slow plod. So if they were willing to. Maybe it might be worth it, but I just don't think anyone is available that's like worse than Wild, better than Ben Gordon. Yeah, I think in terms of free agency, I do agree with you. I think Latavius Murray can give you some solid carries. He had a really solid game for the Saints this past weekend in London. But in terms of trade capital, like, who would you actually make a move for? Like, I think that's really what it comes down to, especially because they're already without some picks because of the Russell Wilson trade. So it just comes down to do you want to give up the few picks that you do have in order to bring in a running back for just a year? Because you know that Javante Williams is really going to be the future. Um, And it does suck about Javante's injury because he looked better than Melvin Gordon did. I understand they want to kind of have a two-headed attack, kind of similar to what Nathaniel Hackett had in Green Bay with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. But I just – Melvin Gordon is just too inconsistent, and I mean – Fern, those fumbles are always going to cost you regardless of if they're lost or not because defenses get the confidence to know that they can force the ball out of your hand. So hopefully they can make a change because if not, it's it's going to be rough. But all right, let's go ahead and do our top five takeaways of the week. Ethan, you can start us off with your number five. Uh, my number five, I'm going to be real. They need to get rid of these London games. I feel that. Like, it, to me, it's just the London games have replaced Thursday night football, in my opinion, because the matches in Thursday nights, they've actually been better this season. And it's like now they're replacing them with these London games because they're bad matches. They're super early in the morning. So it's like if you do want to watch them, you have to wake up early. Uh, yeah, just, just get rid of them. I understand from a marketing standpoint why they do it. So I don't hate it. But like you said, I mean, Amazon Prime paid over a billion dollars for Thursday Night Football. You know they weren't just going to accept any game. Um, and then, But yeah, I feel like it's kind of just games that... This past weekend's game was good, but I don't know if I could say the same about the Packers and Giants. And Loki, during that game, I tried to watch it, but the thing is... I was maybe running on like three or four hours of sleep, so I nod off like three or four times during that game. I caught the end of it, but it's it's hard getting up at 8.30 in the morning to watch football, so I get what you're saying. Uh, my number five is the Bears do not care about Justin Fields. And I'm not going to sit here and say Justin Fields is this megastar. He's, he's shown flashes, but, I mean, it is just rough going for him. You and I talked about it a lot, how we felt like, in the offseason, they really didn't do much to bring in any real weapons, and that's really showing. Um, and then offensive line has just been terrible. He was sacked six times this past week, which really made it hard for him to get into momentum. And it, it's frustrating because 
when you draft a guy, more specifically, you trade up to draft a guy um, with the 11th overall pick like they did last year, you're expecting them to try to build around him and make him such a focal point and give him everything that he needs. You know, we see Jacksonville had done it. Uh, the Chargers, obviously. Cincinnati is another one. But the Bears just have not seemed to do that. And I think that's going to be really costly for Justin Fields throughout the course of his career. Yeah, my num my number four is 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 looking is looking quite damn. I'm not gonna say it's looking damn in Tampa Bay, but I definitely think that they they're on the step of they need to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand they lost a lot of pieces. They lost some pieces on that defense, but to just not produce basically anything defensively throughout the course of their game, like especially for a guy. Like Tybo's uh, defensive head coach, like they got some improvement to do on their defense. I feel you on that. Uh, I'm gonna go back up north and I'm gonna talk about the Cincinnati Bengals more specifically. T. Higgins. I think everybody knows that it is the Jamar Chase show in Cincinnati. We all know how great he is. The connection with Joe Burrow, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But honestly. So far, the best receiver in Cincinnati has been T. Higgins. And I really think we should all put some more respect on T. Higgins' names because, I mean, he has been balling. Um, The third straight game with over 70 receiving yards had 124 last year. Really burnt – I mean, not – sorry, last year. Last week, burnt Xavier Howard. I think that with the play of T. Higgins, that's going to really start opening things up for Jamar Chase because teams are going to have to respect him as well on the outside. Uh. Number two, I mean number three. I'm sorry for me. Is, I'm gonna be honest. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is as great as a leader as people has put him on, put him out to be in times in the past. Um, I think we obviously know that he has moments where he could be very disgruntled. But when you look up and you see that he doesn't have a all world receiver like yes he's helped some guys reach all world receiver status like Devontae Adams and Jordy Nelson but the Packers are winning games but I don't feel like he has he really has nothing to attribute with Aaron Rodgers I think he just has things to attribute to like the whole team like the game against the Patriots Aaron Rodgers didn't have a good game nope and like if it wasn't for their defense making great plays and really, their running game, they would have lost that game. And he didn't have much to do. And then you will see him in press conferences saying, like, we can't, we can't expect to continue to win this way. Like, bro, you might have to just face the music and realize, like, the way that your team is assembled, you're going to have to rely on your run game and rely on your defense to make those plays. And you do what he did in that game, which is he made throws in pivotal moments. Like, this isn't the Packers of old where you're going to see him slinging the ball around the yard. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think that, honestly, the days of the Packers just blowing people out left and right, I think those days are over. And they're going to have to start winning games ugly, like you mentioned, just relying more on their defense, relying on that run game a lot. Because right now their receiving court isn't it. It's not what it has been for the past few years. And so... I think that we're all going to have to kind of get used to the Packers being, I guess, seen as mere mortals. But, I mean, if as long as you're winning, I mean, you got to take the ugly ones with the good ones, so they'll be okay. Um, Number three for me, this is a bit more of a personal one, but it's like I miss Russell in Seattle. Like, 
I'm not going to say nothing in Denver is Russ's fault because that's not true. He has not – he hasn't run the ball enough. Like, the reason – you talked about this a lot last week, and it was a really good point. Like, the greatness of Russell Wilson comes from his legs. Like, his ability to get out of the pocket and make deep throws, off-schedule throws, things like that is what makes him so special. And it just seems like – I don't know if it's a Nathaniel Hackett thing. I don't know if it's a system thing or just a mental thing, but it's like he's not doing the same things. And while the Raiders game was a good game, I will not put that on him. It's still – it's just kind of those moments where you see there's such a difference in Russell Wilson when he just tries to stand in the pocket and is getting obliterated like in the third quarter of that game to the fourth quarter where he's moving around, he's making big throws, he's showing off that deep arm like – I just missed the rust that was in Seattle because I feel like he played more more loose. And I hope that the Broncos kind of let him get back to that. But you can tell it's just it's a different rust going on in Denver. Uh, for me, my number two, um, I know the NFL has concluded their um, investigation of the Miami Dolphins and Atua incident and the non-Miami Dolphins-related doctor was fired. But I still think it should be some more ramifications that come out of that um, investigation because, yeah, it was just bad. And, like, he's not playing these week's games. And, yeah, like, it really just bothers me. And kind of, in a lot of ways, Mike McDaniels, like, remarks around things. Also, have rode me the wrong way. I feel that. Like, his yeah. Like his most recent press conference when he was like, if I just think about the things that everybody else is saying, then I can't focus on the things that I need to focus on as far as the team. And it's like, bro, the things that people are talking about are regarding your quarterback. Yeah. The, the supposed leader of your team. And yeah, they kind of just rubbed the wrong way. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that in more length. But honest, honestly, I feel like had it not been such a public outroar, about his latest concussion, he'd be playing this week, without a doubt. I think the reason why he's not playing is because the Dolphins want to save face. But that's just me. Uh, my number two would be, where is J.C. Jackson? Prior to the start of the season, I loved the addition of J.C. Jackson to the Chargers. I thought it was a great move for them. You get arguably a top three cornerback, ball hawk, all that. This season, he has been a non-factor. Statistically, he has seven total tackles, no picks, no forced fumbles, and he has no pass deflections. And it's not that teams aren't throwing on him. It's just he hasn't been much of a factor. Now, to be fair, um, this past game against Houston was just his second game, but you would think that at least against Houston, he'd be able to make some things shake, and that hasn't been the case. So I'm kind of... I know it's really early in the season, and he has plenty of time to turn it around, but it's just like I'm kind of surprised with the lack of J.C. Jackson that we have seen this year. My number one, um, the Steelers moving on to Kenny Pickett is a wasty move, in my opinion. And the reason I say that is because, yes, I feel like he might be able to give him a little bit of a spark, but I think the biggest thing that he the biggest deficit isn't, in my opinion, quarterback play. It's offensive line play. Like it is terrible. A, yeah, like you can bring like you can bring in Kenny Pickett and think like, oh, it'll make it'll be a difference. 
But if he's going to be under the rest of the way they mentioned Trubisky, he's probably going to get the same output. And the only difference is Kenny Pickett is the guy that everyone wanted and Richard Trubisky isn't. And like I have, I, I understand that Richard Trubisky overall is a great quarterback. But I think he, he, I mean, he was a winner. He was a winner in Chicago with a not, a not as talented team. A not so talented team. And I feel like if you were to put the Steelers, in my opinion, especially offensively, they're more talented than anything that the, those Bears team that he wants to the playoffs on had, especially from a skill position standpoint. But because your offensive line is so poor, like, you're not able to produce anything on offense. Okay. That's an interesting take on it. That's something else we'll get to a little bit later. Because I also have feelings on the move, but I'm I think it's the right move, but for different reasons. But number one, talking about a team with talent, the Los Angeles Rams have not looked like the talented Super Bowl winning team. And honestly, they need to call Odell Beckham ASAP. I think that we all know it's the Cooper Cup show on offense. If you can even Honestly, you don't even have to slow down Cooper Cup because the thing is, if you force Matthew Stafford at least a couple times, particularly on third down, got to get the ball out to anybody else, he's not going to do it. It's not working. He's always going to look for number 10. And the thing is, you put pressure on 10, you're going to force Matthew Stafford into some mistakes. The same could not be said once they had Odell Beckham. They were able to spread the ball around more. That opened things up for Tyler Higby, Van Jefferson, etc. And I understand that they're off. Their receivers are a bit hurt. They're missing Van Jefferson, who's out. He played a solid role last year. But, I mean, you still have a guy like Allen Robinson in the fold, who is a really good wide receiver. I think that once they finally, once they bring in Odell, one, I think it's going to help boost the morale of the team in general because it seems like everybody wants him back. And then also I do think that it's going to help play a role in the team finally just getting some more physicality, getting some more options on the outside because right now this Rams offense does not look good. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our most impressive offensive and defensive players of the week. Offensively, I think this is probably the first time I've ever said this, but I was really impressed by Jared Goff. I know that they his team lost 48-45 um, to the Seahawks, but it wasn't because of him. I mean, he had 378 passing yards and four touchdowns despite Amon Ross St. Brown not being in the lineup. I think that we're starting to see some of the best Jared Goff play we've ever seen. Unfortunately, the Lions defense is holding him back. Uh. Let me wait before I get to my offense. I want to talk about the Rams right quick. Hold on. So I do agree that they do need to bring in Odell Beckham, but I don't. I really believe that their issue isn't the fact that they don't have receivers. I believe it's the fact that they've changed their offensive identity. Mm. And what I and like what I mean by that is in years past, the Rams have, have were a good the dominant running team. Like, you think about the team that they had with Todd Gurley. You even think about last year, they had a good running attack. And this year, because of their O-line injuries and O-line play, they haven't been as dominant. And they're, like, putting these positions where you're forced, like, kind of forcing the ball in Matthew Stafford's hand. Also, because he's Matthew Stafford, so you want to put the ball in his hand. And I think they've become, like, very one-dimensional, and that's a big part of it as well, and like the lack of weapons on the outside. 
Yeah, I mean, kind of adding to that, I mean, Cam Akers has been an absolute non-factor this year. Like, he was supposed to be a breakout candidate doing a little bit of everything, really balling out. However, he just has not done any of that. And honestly, we've seen more of Daryl Henderson than we have Cam Akers, which I'm not mad about. It's always nice to see a Memphis man do work. But realistically, I mean, we all thought that the running game would be run through Cam Akers, and we haven't seen that. And I think that offensive line play definitely plays a big role in it as well. But, yeah, the Rams' offense just – it looks off. Something is not clicking. But uh, so my offensive player of the week, they got to go. It's a tandem. It's really a trio. DK Metcalf, Geno Smith, and Tyler Lockett. Okay. And it's crazy to think that I would be looking up and seeing Geno Smith, like, have a stat line in which he did. Because when they named him the start, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I'm happy for him. But to look up and see, he had, like, he essentially had, like, one of those, like, bad games where you look up and you see somebody have, like, an absurd stat line. It was dope to see. So I got to go with that trio. I mean, it was definitely a terrific performance. Um, definitely one of the best ones of the week, by far. Um, all right, my most impressive defensive player, another guy who I really never give flack to, but I got to shout out safety, LaMarcus Joyner. For the Jets, I mean, he played a really big role in that win, getting two interceptions as well as six tackles. I mean, one could question some of the calls. One could question the quarterback decisions. But, I mean, to get an interception, you have to be in the right place at the right time. You have to be there to make those moves. And LaMarcus Joyner has done that. And I think that he's one of kind of the underrated guys where we look at this new-look Jets defense and we don't talk about LaMarcus Joyner enough because he is a playmaker on that back end. Uh, for me, I'm going with Philadelphia linebacker Hassan Reddy. He had four tackles, two sacks, two forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries and a tackle for loss. And the game that honestly going into it, we didn't we didn't put that much value on it, but it ended up probably being the one of the better games of the weekend. Yeah. I mean, because I think that even though the Jags had come in looking good, I don't think anybody had really been like, oh, they're going to give the Eagles a run for their money. But they did. I mean, they were up, I believe, 10 nothing the first quarter because they had a pick six by Andre Sisko. And unfortunately, I mean, the Jags, I'm not Jags, the Eagles defense really got it to get itself together, most notably uh, Hassan Reddick and really wreaked, shot, wreaked havoc. So that's a good one. Uh, my most disappointed player, I put a lot of pressure on this man, but – I'm still going to say quarterback Lamar Jackson, 20-29 for passing. That's not bad, but he only had 144 yards. He did have a passing touchdown, but two picks. The first pick is bad at the line. What can you really do? But that second pick came on that fourth and goal opportunity. If you rewatch that play, there was a wide receiver wide open, but he held the ball too long trying to make something happen when it wasn't there, when he should have just took the easy play. I'm not putting everything on Lamar for the Ravens' loss, but – he did have some very questionable moments. Uh, I'm actually in agreement with you. With Lamar, we, you know, I'm a huge Lamar fan. He's my favorite quarterback in the NFL. But he just, he had a really bad game. He didn't play like himself. Um, and when he tried to make something happen, this is what this is what happens. I feel like when you have a quarterback that has 
the athletic capabilities of him is like more times than not it works and when it doesn't work it goes incredibly bad and this was a game where it went incredibly bad on that um, fourth down play yeah but I mean still early in the season not crucifying him but yeah you expect better especially in those big moments alright and then finally rookie of the week I'm going to show some love to, you touched on this Patriots-Packers game, and I'm going to show some love to uh, Patriots defensive back Jack Jones, who actually is the player who got the pick six against Aaron Rodgers, which I think ended some ridiculously long streak of games where he hadn't thrown a pick six at Lambeau Field. And it's funny because a quote came out yesterday where he said that he found it disrespectful that Aaron Rodgers threw an out route on him. And said, personally, I find it disrespectful to throw an out route on me. If you can get the ball outside of me, I'm no good. They may have lost, but I like the kid's swagger. And this was a really big play that helped bring the game. I think it tied the game. It made it really competitive. So, shout out to Jack Jones. Uh, my rookie of the week goes to Texans running back, Damien Pierce. He had 14 carries for 131 rushing yards and one TD. Granted, it came in a loss, but... It hasn't been that many outstanding rookie performances, so I got to sign some sign on it. I mean, not only that, but I mean, rookie running backs. They're really, aside from Brees Hall, there really hasn't been any to really talk about. So Damian Pierce's game was, he played a big role in that game being as competitive as it was for as long as it was against the Chargers. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to league news. Couple of retirements. This one hits close to home. Cornerback Jimmy Smith, full longtime Raven, has decided to call it quits after 11 years. Thank you, Jimmy, because you helped us get our Super Bowl against the 49ers. You'll always be my friend for that. Also, wide receiver Cole Beasley has decided to retire um, despite signing with the Patriots. I mean, not Patriots, the Bucks last week. Um, so, congratulations to him for what he has accomplished in his career. Moving on to some other roster moves. Chris Harris Jr. cornerback is signing with the New Orleans Saints. And Odell Beckham Jr., though he has been a troll for a lot of fan bases, this one he has a little extra relationship with, and that is the New York Giants, who he apparently visited uh, this past Monday. The Looking at the Giants receiving core, they are a bit depleted. Kenny Galladay has been nothing short of a disappointment. Sterling Shepard's out for the year. Kadarius Toney's been kind of quiet. However, they are still 3-1. and one. So, realistically, do you think that the Giants have a shot to sign Odell? No. I think Odell is at this point in his career to where it's like he's only going to sign to a contending team. Um, I think the thought of going back to the Giants is really cool. You know, he started his career there. They do have a winning record, but we all know that the Giants, this Giants team, they aren't, if they do even make it to the playoffs, they aren't going to get past probably the first round. Yeah. So I'm going to say no because I think he, I think Odell, right now Odell is in ring chase mode and he's going to end up on a team that has a better shot at making the Super Bowl than not. I feel you. I'll say this. I could see him signing with the team in New York State, but I don't think it's going to be the Giants. But, all right, let's talk about the big news out of the week. You touched on it in one of your takeaways, but the Tua Tonga about lower injury. For those of you who saw the hit against the Bengals, you know what I'm talking about. And if not, I probably wouldn't recommend looking it up. However, it raised a lot of public outrage with people wondering why he played after just four days 
uh, since the Buffalo game where it looked like he had suffered another concussion where he was brought back into that game. Of course, uh, he was sent out on a stretcher, did not um, come back in the Thursday night game. You touched on it. He's not going to be playing week five as well. But following the big hit, it was announced that the NFLPA says it will pursue every legal option in the Tua Tonga-Vailoa situation. Following the hit, in one of the many press conferences that, um, what's it called? Michael, uh, Mike, Mike McDaniels. Thank you. Mike McDaniels gave. This was the most recent, well, not most recent, but this was right after the game where he said Tua was cleared. It's a standard operating procedure. That's why the NFL has its protocols. There's an independent specialist that specializes in brain matter. Concussion protocol is very strict. We don't mess with this, which a lot of people are calling BS, and so did the NFLPA. As they continued their investigation, you mentioned it, uh, the NFLPA has decided to terminate the unaffiliated neurotrauma Neurotrauma consultant involved in the decision to clear Tua to return in the uh, game last Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. And then the NFL NFLPA released a statement. Uh, the joint NFL slash NFLPA investigation into the application of the concussion protocol involving Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa remains ongoing. Therefore, we have not made any conclusions about the medical errors or protocol violations. The NFL and NFLPA agree the mo to the modifications of the concussion protocol are needed to enhance player safety. The NFLPA's Mackie White Health and Safety Committee and the NFL's Head, Neck, and Spine Committee have already begun discussions around the use of the term gross motor instability and we anticipate changes to the protocol being made in the coming days based on what has learned has been learned thus far in the review process the nfl and the nflpa share strong appreciation for the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultants who contribute their time and expertise to our game solely to advance player safety this program has made our game safer for the athletes who play it who have been playing it for the last 12 seasons that's great and all, but like you said, not many people are facing too many repercussions. So, overall, just how do you feel about the two of Tonga Vailoa injury? I don't know if you ended up watching the video or not, but just we know that the one neurotrauma consultant was fired. But on the whole, what more do you think needs to be done? So I, I did end up I did end up watching the uh, the video because I just was like, as much as I didn't want to see. I was like, I just had to see it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was it was very traumatic. But um I think that it should be at minimal some more termination of people, um, in their or in their organization centered around this whole concussion protocol treatment. Cause there's no one like this is what kills me. The game against the Bills they said that he has he had a back injury and what? that is why he fell over like that. But if you but this is what I this is what kind of baffled me is. So they they group concussion protocol spinal injury as well. Isn't the spinal part of the back. Right. So if he had a quote unquote back injury, it could have been that could have stemmed from the spine and maybe Maybe at the point at the time they weren't able to like properly test like spinal injuries in in the medical tent that they do like concussion protocol stuff. But even still, like if they say like gross motor functions, like this man got up and fell over and he wobbled. It was clearly visible that he wasn't he wasn't able to play throughout the remainder of that game. And for them to throw him out there and then 
to throw him against out there against against Cincinnati and it's just really bad. And yeah, like I I hope it, I hope everyone I hope first I hope two is safe. But secondly I hope anybody that was in fault gets the gets the justice that they deserve because like this bigger than football. That's a man's life that you're playing with. Um and yeah. Yeah. No, I'm in total agreement with you. On that, okay, so that raises an interesting point because Joe Burrow recently did an interview on the Colin Coward podcast, and he said this. You're going to have head injuries. You're going to tear your ACL. You're going to break your arm. That's the game that we play. That's the life that we live, and we get paid handsomely for it. So while I know that, I know that injuries are a big thing, and of course concussions have become such a big conversation over the past ten years. Do you think? Do you blame the game itself? Do you think that people should be mad at the NFL as a whole because of what happened to Tua, or do you also agree it's a part of the game? No, injury injuries are a part of the game. The reason I feel like people should blame the NFL or more specifically the Miami Dolphins is because of the way that they handled the situation. The fact that they put him back out there on the field against Buffalo, the fact that they didn't, from from what it seems like, didn't conduct any further testings to prove that he might have had a concussion after that moment and you had him play against Cincinnati. Because, yeah, Joe Burrow's right. My concussions are a part of football. It's painful to say that, but that's just a, a very harsh reality of the game. Injuries are going to happen, but I think what makes what makes this situation as bad is because it kinda it kinda feels like um the tour wasn't properly taken care of in the di- not the diagnosis of his injury was further led to a worse injury. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that I would say that the NFL has done a lot to try to be quote unquote safer. But just the handling of the Dolphins situation has really sprung up a lot of uncomfortable conversations and really has made people look and be like, this was wrong. Like, even people who aren't football fans can say, look, if you look at the clip of him during that Bills game to four days later in that Bengals game, I think just about anybody would question the reasoning behind him playing. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. You touched on this as well with regards to the entering of the new Kenny Pickett area. I mean, not area, era. And it seems like most of the players on the team are on board. Um, For example, wide receiver Deontay Johnson backs Kenny Pickett taking over and said, when he came into the game, we were just more efficient. He played with with swag. And so other players talked about it as well. And then a lot of the defensive players have made note about their faults in the game, blah, blah, blah. But it's a new era. It seems like, and Loki, I'm proud of myself because I called it, but it seems like the reins are being given to Kenny Pickett. We already know he's going to start this Sunday against Buffalo. You touched on it how you felt like it wasn't the right move. So let's say Kenny Pickett is the starter for the rest of the season. Do you think right now the Steelers are 1-3? and three. Do you think he has a chance to turn it around, or do you think that he's entering a failing situation? I think he well, let me reiterate. I don't think it's a bad. I don't think it's a bad move. I just think it's going to be a move that, regardless of who you have at quarterback, you're going to get the same result. Like result, I don't think they're going to. Like I don't think inserting Kenny Pickett 
into the starting lineup is going to make the Steelers a drastically better football team. It might make them better in some senses, but not like I don't see them going from a one in three team to a playoff team with Kenny Pickett at quarterback. Um, but I do think that it could help improve their uh, their standing because we all do, we all know that teams can galvanize themselves around particular players, especially quarterbacks, and it does um, uplift their level of production. I just think it's going to be incredibly hard because, like I stated earlier, the Pittsburgh Steelers' offensive of line play has been so bad. And honestly, with T.J. Watt being hurt, that defense hasn't played up to the caliber that we expected it to play this season either. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I think you, I think they might be better, but I don't just see it being like a drastic improvement. I feel that. I mean, their offensive line is bad, and I think that their defense is also not playing well at all. Um, Minka Fitzpatrick, after the game, said it was frustrating to lose to teams that you know that you're more talented than. Well, no. okay. I, and I, then I saw a comment that was like that. Then, uh, then what it says, like, that's how the Cincinnati Bengals felt when they lost to y'all. Because it's like, on paper, the you would think the Steelers would be a lot better than they are, but it's just in terms of execution, it's not just happening. And I I don't think we can all put all the blame on Mitchell Trubisky because he's not the total problem. He's not amazing, but it could be worse than Mitchell Trubisky. That defense can't stop a cold. That defense is terrible. And you would think that even without T.J. Watt being there, you guys got guys like Minka Fitzpatrick, you got um, – Cam Hayward, Miles Jack, Devin Bush, you would think somebody would be able to do something, and it just has not been happening. And I don't think that putting Kenny Pickett in is going to make that defense drastically better. I don't think, like you said, I don't think it's going to make them flip a switch and they make the playoffs. But I do think that, like you said, like players tend to, like, if you get the right leader in charge, players tend to rally around them. And I think that if Kenny Pickett can just show fight like he did in that Jets game, I think that he has a chance to really make some noise, even though these next four games are tough. They have Buffalo this week, Bucks the week after, Dolphins and Eagles. So they picked a hell of a time to start Kenny Pickett, but I think that, like you said, I think he'll kind of change the the attitude. He'll add to the swag of the team, but overall I'm not, not betting my horse to him just making everything sunshine and rainbows in Pittsburgh. They have a lot of problems that go well beyond the quarterback position. But, all right, let's go ahead and run through this game of quarterback um, – I'm sorry, not quarterback, believable or buffoonery. And we're going to start off with Tua Tagovailoa. And this was a really interesting quote from Dr. Bennett Umala, who is the neuropathologist who the film Concussion was based upon. And he had this to say about Tua. He said, Tua, my brother, I love you. Um, speaking to TMZ, I love you as much as I love my son. Stop playing. Stop. Hang your helmet up and gallantly walk away. My advice to him is, look, it's time. You've suffered severe long-term permanent brain damage. He seized. If you love your life, if you love your family, you love your kids, if you have kids, it's time to gallantly walk away. Go find something else to do. He said he should stop. Sometimes money is not more valuable than human life. $20 billion is not worth more than your brain. Those are some pretty strong words. And, I mean, especially it feels very timely considering the week that Tua Tungabailoa has had. But believable or buffoonery, it would be in Tua's best interest to call it quits and walk away from the game. 
I'm going to say believable. Um, because if he has, like, if he's had a significant, if he had a concussion that previous game and then he had another concussion in the span of, what, less than a week in this game against Cincinnati, it could cause severe brain damage. And yes, I understand like you're making millions of dollars you're in the NFL but it's not working like we've seen individuals leave the game abruptly due to injury we've seen um, Patrick Williams leave the game out of nowhere because of injury we've seen Andrew Luck leave the game out of nowhere because of injury Calvin um, Johnson yeah like we've seen some of the bigger like Hall of Fame worthy players in the game because of the injuries that they've amassed over the course of their careers. And two are still young. Like if I'm not mistaken, two is what, twenty four, twenty five? Something like that. And like the gap like the amount of injuries like we we've heard and seen like the, the repercussions of concussions and CTE on the brain. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, Richard Seymour, we seen what happened to him due to a lot of CTE damage. And it's like, bro, it's not worth it. So I, I'm going to say believable. I say believable as well. Just because, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm not buying the whole back injury from the Bills game. I'm yeah, pretty sure did. that was a concussion. And I think even if he doesn't come back next week or maybe even the week after, I mean, this is football. You're going to get hit. And I think that he can say it's not going to all he wants, but I feel like in the back of his mind, that's always going to be something that he's worried about. He's going to be worried about taking that next hit and how bad it could be for him. And I think that's a scary way to live, especially being in your early to mid-20s. You have your whole life ahead of you. And I just – and unfortunately – we all love the NFL, blah, blah, blah. But the NFL is a business. If he walked away from the game right now, the Dolphins would have a replacement for him literally today. It would just be Teddy Bridgewater, then they draft somebody and move on with their life, and it would be like Teddy, Ted, I mean, Tua Tungvaluwa never existed. And so I think that if he, depending on the real severity of these injuries, I do think it probably would be in his best interest to leave. Because, I mean, honestly, what – what is the benefit? Like, everybody wants a Super Bowl, and that's great, but is it worth possibly suffering severe brain damage or God, God, um, God failing your life? So, I, I agree. Like, if he retired right now, I don't think anybody would blame him. And if they did, then they're weird. I, this isn't a believable or buffoonery question. It's more of an offense. It's which offense is more concerning between the Chicago Bears and the Carolina Panthers? Carolina Panthers on paper should be a much better squad. You got uh, Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, and then Baker Mayfield believed not to be a terrible quarterback. However, it has been anything but. It has been terrible in Carolina. In fact, Baker Mayfield's already started to get boos from fans to where he tried to act like he didn't really care. He said, I haven't even known you all for two months. This is hasn't been my team for 27 years. As a way to kind of calm down fans and let them know that things are reshaping. But still, it's been rough. Moving on to the Chicago Bears. In post-game press conference against the Giants, a reporter asked 
A reporter asked Justin Fields, why isn't the passing game working? Justin Fields said, who says the passing game isn't working? The reporter replied, the stats. Justin Fields said, the stats don't matter. Honestly, stats do matter, especially in this league, particularly for quarterbacks in general. So, Ethan, we know how bad the Panthers have been, and we know how bad the Bears have been. Which offense to you is more concerning at this point of the year? Oh, it's easy with the Carolina Panthers. Um, they have on their on their offensive side of the ball overall, they're significantly more talented than the Bears. Christian McCaffrey, when healthy, um, has the potential to be a top five running back in the NFL. They have they have Robbie Anderson who could be a, who's a really good run on um, wide receiver. They have um, who's the other receiver? Curtis Samuels, I think it's his name. Curtis yeah. Samuels. Um, you talking about DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson? Yeah, DJ Moore. This is his name. DJ Moore. Who who can who is a talented wide receiver? Like in Baker Mayfield, like you say. He was projected to not be a bad quarterback, and for them to just not be able to perform, it's definitely baffling. And because, like, the thing with the Bears, honestly, everybody knew the Bears' offense was going to be bad this year. Um, they hadn't improved any talent-wise and skill positions. Like, their best, in my opinion, their best offensive weapon is David Montgomery. And you have a quarterback this in the new offensive system, essentially his second year in the league with a brand new head coach. And we all know how that goes. And I think Justin Fields is getting better and he's learning, but I wasn't expecting that offense to be great to begin with. I was expecting the Panthers offense to at least be good. So I'm gonna have to go with the Panthers. Yeah, I'm in a totally agreement with you for everything you said. Probably the only thing I would mention is Unfortunately, like, at least the Bears can kind of be patient with Justin Fields and everything because they know it's a rebuild. With regards to the Panthers, they really have no other option besides Baker. They could possibly look at P.J. Walker, but I feel like if Sam Darnold was healthy, I think that he would begin the start. And if I think that Baker has another bad game this week or whatever week Sam Darnold can come back, I do think we're going to see Sam Darnold here pretty soon. All right, let's go ahead and make our Week 5 game pick starting off with tonight's game between the Indianapolis Colts Denver Broncos Jonathan Taylor is going to be out of action tonight but even if he was playing I don't trust this Colts offense I got Broncos I got Colts uh I think their defense is finally gonna play up to okay I mean they had a good game against the uh the Chiefs probably the best game they had so far so we'll see all right we got another london game the green bay packers versus the new york giants i know the giants are three and one but i'm still going packers i still I, they're still better yeah i got that all right detroit lions versus the new england patriots i think this game is going to wind up being pretty competitive but i'm gonna go lions the lions buffalo bills versus the pittsburgh steelers i got bills Bills. New York Jets versus the Miami Dolphins. This was actually kind of tough. Um, I think I'm I'm gonna say Jets because I don't think it's gonna be like a crazy game from Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. And I think if you can code those couple guys in check, 
you have a shot. Because if it's any indication of the Thursday night football games, they could not finish off drives. And the Jets aren't exactly great at it either, but I, I think they have a chance to win this game. Uh, I'm going to say Jets as well because Teddy Two Gloves isn't known for pushing the ball downfield. And that's been the strength of this Miami's offense so far. That is a fact. All right, moving on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Atlanta Falcons. Winner will boast the lead in the uh, NFC South. I got Bucks. I got Bucks. New Orleans Saints versus the Seattle Seahawks. I know the Seattle's offense feels real good about itself right now, and rightfully so. But I, I, I got to see the Saints win another game. I got New Orleans. I got New Orleans, and apparently Alvin Kamara is coming back, and I think they might wipe a lot of the wrong that's been going on on offense. That or him getting hurt. Um, well, him not the Sunday. I mean, not Sunday. London game also screwed me because I didn't see that he was out, so I couldn't take him out of my fa- starting fantasy lineup until like the game had already started. So that's another thing about London games that I got beef with. All right, Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Houston Texans. I got Jags. Jags. Tennessee Titans versus the Washington Commanders. I know we both called this a possible trap game, but I got Titans. They better win. I got Titans. Minnesota Vikings versus the Chicago Bears. I got Vikings. Mm, yeah, I got Vikings. Los Angeles Chargers versus the Cleveland Browns. I got Chargers. Chargers. San Francisco 49ers versus the Carolina Panthers. I got Niners. Niners. Los Angeles Rams versus the Dallas Cowboys. This game is a lot tougher than it should be to predict, but I got Rams. I got Cowboys. Philadelphia Eagles versus the Arizona Cardinals. I got Eagles. Eagles. Sunday Night Football. The Baltimore Ravens will try to avenge getting swept by the Cincinnati Bengals at home. I feel like a bad Ravens fan, but I'm picking the Bengals. I just, especially if Rashad Bateman doesn't play, I don't think, and with the state of our secondary, I don't think we can really go blow for blow with the Bengals right now. So I got Bengals. Yeah, I got, I'm going to agree. I got Bengals as well. Okay. I know, I know, I know all the fellow Ravens fans can bash me. It's okay. I get it. And then Monday Night Football, Las Vegas Raiders versus the Kansas City Chiefs. I got Chiefs, and I don't think it's going to be necessarily close. Yeah, I got Chiefs. All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookies we are watching this week. Ethan, you can start us off. Offensively, uh, even though we just talked about them not winning, I'm going to be looking at Lamar Jackson. Um, to see how he bounces back from the game against the Bills. I think, even though I think they're going to lose, I think Lamar is still going to have a, a good game. Yeah, I think he's going to have a good game. I just think, like I said, if it turns into a shootout, aside from Mark Andrews, there's nobody on offense who I totally trust to get the ball out to. But I could be pleasantly surprised. Um, offensively, I'm looking at Matt Ryan. He's been bad this year, like really, really bad. And unfortunately, the defense has really been having to carry the weight because even Jonathan Taylor has not been the standout player that he is. But with him out of action, it's really going to force Matt Ryan to be better than he had been all year, especially going up against this tough Broncos defense. All right, defensively, who are you watching? Defensively. Mm. 
gonna be watching the I'm gonna be watching Sauce Garner. Okay. Because like I stated, even though even though the Dolphins with Teddy Two Gloves, they, they didn't look like they're gonna be able to push the ball down the field. We get a lot can change in the week. And they still might look to take those shots. And we also know that Tyreek Hill and Zayden Wardle are two guys that you don't necessarily have to throw the deep ball to them for them to be effective. So they could take a five-yard slink and turn it into an 85-yard game. So I think there's gonna a lot's gonna a lot of pressure is gonna be put on Sauce to also cover them downfield, but also make tackles in the open field. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. Um, defensively, I'm going Aaron Donald. We all know Aaron Donald is a bad mofo. Nobody disputes it. But I think that he's going to have to wreck shop. I mean, it's pretty much been Aaron Donald or nothing in terms of a pass rush for the Rams. And I think that with the state of this Cowboys offensive line, if Aaron Donald can wreak some havoc back there, whether that be sacks or tackles for loss on Tony Pollard or Zeke, I think that that can play a really big role and help this offense out a lot by getting into favorable field position or forcing a lot of punts. All right, what rookie are you watching this week? It's probably we probably got the same answer, but what do you got? Uh, who's yours? I'm going Kenny Pickett. See, I would go Kenny Pickett. Matter of fact, I am gonna go Kenny Pickett because if they if he messes around and beat the Bills, that would be something to talk about. Oh so, yeah, very much so. And then the team I'm calling out is the Los Angeles Rams. Been looking very bad this year, despite just being two and two. And I understand the Cowboys are three and one on paper. Well, statistically, they look like the better team. But I mean, you are the Los Angeles Rams. You're coming off a Super Bowl win. It's games like this where you remind everybody why you are Super Bowl champs. And also, I mean, no disrespect to Cooper Rush, but I mean, he hasn't been spectacular. This secondary, despite it being depleted, should be able to make some plays. So I'm calling out the Rams. I'm calling out. I'm calling out the Raiders. Um, even yes, even though I think they're still going to lose to the Chiefs. Like with the talent that you guys have, how are you guys over the four? They're one and three now. My bad. Yeah, one and three. Yeah. I forgot they did win this weekend. That's how bad it's been, and I thought that they lost. Uh, yeah, but still, you guys are one and three, and, and I understand you're you're in a tough division, but you haven't had any divisional games. This is wait, no, they played the Chargers week one. That's right. They played Chargers week one, Broncos last week, and then Chiefs. So this will be their third division game. Hey, I'm way off. I don't know what this what happens when you got a lot going on. <laughs> But still, like, the Broncos, yeah, I just don't get it. Like, they have a really talented team. So, yeah, I'm just going to call it. Fair. All right, so let's move on to the NBA. Uh, looking at some roster moves. Big trade that took place during the week. The Oklahoma City Thunder are sending uh, Derek Favors, Ty Jerome, and Mo Harkless and Theo Maladon in a 2025 second-round pick via Atlanta to the Houston Rockets in exchange for David Nwaba, Sterling Brown, Trey Burke, and Marquise Chris. 
this is a cap-centric deal for both teams. The Thunder will gain two trade exceptions and drop about $10 million under the luxury tax, while the Rockets get a second-round pick for taking on a $1 million in salary. And Favors will be considered a valuable uh, backup center or be traded elsewhere in the marketplace. So we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, adding to their front court, the Boston Celtics have signed uh, Blake Griffin to a one-year deal. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, rather than speculation of him being traded, it's looking like he's going to end up staying in Utah and being extended. Speaking of extensions, the Memphis Grizzlies have signed Stephen Adams to a two-year extension worth 25.2 mil. And Tyler Harrow, guard for the Miami Heat, got the bag, signing a, a four-year $130 million contract extension to stay in South Beach. Now, Ethan, he's made most of his money being the sixth man and coming off the bench and having a big impact. Is this finally the year and the time for Tyler Harrell to become a starter in Miami? I think it is. Um, because when you look at Miami, the Miami Heat team, like Kyle Lowry, he's still a serviceable point guard. Jimmy Butler, he's still shown that he could be the best player on the team. And you have um, Bam, and you lost PJ Tucker, so you're going to need some offensive punch. And the thing is, is like with Miami, they have a lot of guards that you can put into that um that bench role. Like they have big dollar people that they can turn into their six man. They have Caleb Martin that they could use as a six man. Um, and I think just with the way it's unfolding, this starting lineup outside of Bam is getting kind of old. So you might need some some youth on that line in that lineup, and you could just do a lot of different things with Tyler Hero. Like you can put the ball in his hands. He can play off the ball, and because he and he's a really capable shooter. So I think it is the time for him to start. But we'll see. You know, Eric's supposed to do what he wanted to do anyway. That's true. I mean, for me, it really comes down to the nickels and dimes of, of like, there are some great bench players, but you're not giving them 130 mil just to come off the bench. And I think that this is perfect time. It may not be immediately. He may not, once the season opener rolls around, he may not be starting. But I think at some point, it's time for him to take over as a starter. I mean, he's definitely shown that he can handle a lot of production. He's put up some terrific numbers. You can tell he's talented. But... We've never really seen him in a full-time starter capacity, so that'll really help be the test of how good is this guy really. But I, I like the extension overall, though. I mean, you're not – they didn't get Donovan Mitchell, and it really came down to are you getting Spider or are you going to keep Tyler Hero? And it seemed like since they didn't get Spider, they decided to commit themselves to Tyler Hero. So I'm interested to see what he'll be able to do. All right, speaking of being able to discuss what they do, DeMar DeRozan ball had moments where he shined in Chicago this past year, but felt like it was the first time he was really seen since leaving the Raptors. He talked about his time in San Antonio where he said, I felt like I was wiped off the map. I just felt like I was irrelevant. I mean, it's a crazy thing to say about a franchise that has had so much success over the past 20 years, but I mean, realistically, do you think that playing on the Spurs may, is in a relevant position because we talked about DeJounte Murray, sure, but other than that, not many other Spurs really got a lot of flack. 
where the Spurs ever considered sexy. They've been, had years when they were great teams, had awesome team chemistry, but they were never sexy. They were never a team. As you mentioned, they got a lot of TV time, even when they were winning. And I think that that also kind of goes to when you look back at the greats. Like, everybody talks about Tim Duncan, sure, but, like, when you look at the top 75 players that they put out last year, year before, they didn't even make mention of a Manu Ginobili, of a Tony Parker. Those guys have multiple rings, too. And they don't get talked about. Like, when you look at the grand scheme of, like, the all-time greats, even though the Spurs have had so much success, nobody really talks about them. We talk about Coach Pop, but that's really it. So, yeah, no, I think it does make you a bit irrelevant. Um, like I said, it's not sexy. And, like, they're not a team that, like, has exciting drafts. Like, they're not bringing in guys who are highly touted. Like, I think – Every year, like, you and I have a player that we see that the Spurs draft. And I'm like, really? But then again, it's like, why are we surprised? It's the Spurs. But, all right, let's do something fun. Let's break down the Eastern Conference, which, as we know, is broken up uh, with the Toronto Raptors, Philadelphia 76ers, New York Knicks, Indiana Pacers, Boston Celtics, Atlanta Hawks, Cleveland Cavaliers, Chicago Bulls, Milwaukee Bucks, Miami Heat, Orlando Magic, Brooklyn Nets, Detroit Pistons, Charlotte Hornets, and Washington Wizards. What we are going to do is break down both the Eastern and Western Conference, similar to how we do divisional breakdowns in the NFL. Break the break the conference down into a few categories, and then eventually pick who we think is going to come out as conference champs. So, Ethan, you can start us off. Who do you think is the most underrated team in the Eastern Conference? The most underrated team in the Eastern Conference, in my opinion, I'm going to say, honest, I'm going to say the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
I think they, they did gain a lot of steam in the offseason for the acquisition of Donovan Mitchell. But I think, and yes, they lost a lot of good pieces to gain him. But I still think that they have a really solid team because you still have Darius Garland. You still have Evan Mobley. You still have Jared. And like, they didn't lose any of their core pieces. And they gained a star caliber player. I can see that. Um, I'm going to say the Toronto Raptors. I mean, probably the most forgettable NBA champion of the last couple of years. But they were, in fact, champions. And sure, Kawhi Leonard was on a one-year rental and he left. But, I mean, they've still been really competitive, made the playoffs last year, have drafted really well. And I think we just kind of forget about them. I think they're just one of those teams that's like, oh, they're solid. We know they'll probably be on the back end of the playoff projections or playoff teams. But they come out and they beat some really good teams or teams that are considered more talented. So I think that we're – I think we all kind of overlook the Raptors at times. All right, moving on to the most overrated team. Who do you got? I feel like we probably both had the same. Actually, I'm going to no. I'm going to say the Brooklyn Nets. Okay. I think I think that they have. They obviously do have some great pieces. Like they have, they have Kevin Durant. They have Kyrie Irving. They have a returning Ben Simmons, but and they have some good pieces around them. And Joe Harris, Seth Curry a lot of those guys but the thing is is like they don't really have a big man like Nick Claxton is their only true big and what do you they don't have depth so like what do you got what are you gonna do say and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant had to play a full season in these um past couple of years so what are you going to do if you get another big injury to one of those guys and you also are coming off of a summer slash season where it was a lot of dysfunction in the organization to begin with. So I got to go with Brooklyn. Brooklyn was up there for me too, but I'm going to go, for the sake of conversation, I'm going to go different. I'm going to say the Atlanta Hawks. I think that the addition of DeJounte Murray has a chance to be really helpful, but I still think that they are – a few pieces away from being considered a true contender like we all know that Trey Young is a great player but I just feel like kind of in a similar vein to the Nets they don't have much depth so if they're not getting a big night from Trey Young and probably now DeJounte Murray if Clint Capella isn't having his best defensive night I think it's really going to affect them and they're going to possibly be another low playoff seed and it's unfortunate because they have a lot of talent they have the name brand value they have some of that excitement but I'm just not sold on them being a legit contender as of now despite the additions that they've made this offseason but all right, let's get to something fun Top three favorite players in the Eastern Conference. Mm, Giannis, Joel Embiid, and shoot, trying to think of the best, Jimmy Butler. Yeah, Jimmy Butler's my one. Uh, number three for me, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Love Giannis. I love his personality. I love his game. And, I mean, I got respect for somebody who's – I'll always have respect for someone who sticks with an organization who – like a small organization or at least a mid-market one like Milwaukee and bringing a championship. You're always going to get my respect for that. Uh, number two, Bradley Beal. Love Bradley Beal forever. Watched him in high school at Chaminade. He made me actually root for Florida. Don't tell nobody I said that out loud. And then now with Washington, 
Loved him since he got in the league, so hopefully he can parlay that to some success. And then Jimmy Butler, I mean, is just he's just a dog. Uh, the dreads are a bad look, though. I'm ready for those to go away. But other than that, he he already got rid of him. Yeah, he did. He got rid of him um, during the Heat's first preseason game. Okay. Like he was sitting up the bench with like a do rag on, and okay. you can tell that they want Okay. Oh, thank God. They look terrible. But yeah, other than that, I love everything about Jimmy Butler. All right, so what three players, in your opinion, are facing a prove-it year? Uh, this easy. The next big three. And I'll say the next big three with the addition of Giants Harden. Okay. For me, I got Bradley Beal. Like I said, love him to death, but also you signed all this money to come back to Washington, haven't been healthy for the past two, three years. And you keep talking about how you want to win in Washington. Well, you have to. You're going to be a huge role in affecting that winning. I know that bringing in players has not been a one of the Washington Wizards' strength in terms of free agency. But I think Bradley Beal has to have a monster year to kind of remind everybody of why he is so talented and why Washington has committed themselves to building around him. To Ben Simmons, you're back now. You're supposedly back or whatever you said. You're going to be more aggressive, take more threes, blah blah blah. Nobody's going to believe you until you actually go out there and do it. You already caught hell whether your last few games in Philly and then not playing all this past year. It's a lot of confusion that comes with Ben Simmons. He could clear things up with the great year. And then number one, Julius Randle. Julius Randle is kind of a Jekyll and Hyde. Two years ago, we're talking about him, most improved player, really leading the Knicks, making them look like a standout team. This past year did little to nothing. I think that for Jim... Julius Randle to show that he does belong in terms of the NBA's solid big man and one of the better big men. He has to have a big year this year because if not, I think that it's going to lead to a major blow up in New York and he's going to be on his way out. But, all right, who are your top three breakout candidates? Top three breakout candidates. Hmm. That's tough. You want me to go? Precious is true. Okay. Is one. Uh, yeah, Precious is true. Is one. I'm trying to think of every roster in the East that I know off the top of my head. It's Tyrese Halliburton is another one because, I mean, nobody else. Him and Buddy Hill are going to be the only people that's going to Indiana, honestly. Uh, and let me see. Um, I can't say Lamelo ZR broke out. It's hard. It's hard to pick three, or at least in basketball. Football is much easier to pick out somebody you think you're gonna break out because just so many different positions. But basketball is kind of yeah. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. I'm trying to think of all the teams' rosters right now. I might say Cash is Winston. Okay. I like that pick. All right, for me, three, he, he's kind of broken out, but then again, not. And number three for me is Pascal Siakam. The championship year, he had a terrific year, but he's never been back to that level. I think that he can get back there this year, especially if everybody can stay healthy. Two, I got Evan Mobley. I think that Evan Mobley, low-key, he should have been rookie of the year. 
Um, but I do think that with the addition of Donovan Mitchell kind of shoring up their backcourt, making them even better, I think that's going to create a lot of opportunities for Evan Mobley to go off. And then last but not least, I got Bulls guard Ayo Donsamu. Last year, he showed some really nice flashes as a rookie. But, I mean, of course, when you're playing alongside Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, you're not going to get as many opportunities to show what you can do. But this year, I do think that he's going to see a lot more playing time, especially with those guys being another year older and kind of the uncertainty of Lonzo Ball. I think that this is his chance to really break out and show that he is a star. But, all right, uh, moving on to rookies. Who is the rookie that your eyes are on? Or at least that you're paying the most attention to. Paulo Bancaro. Yeah. That that typically is what happens when you're the first overall pick. Uh, For me, I'm going Pistons guard Jaden Ivey. I'm really excited to see what he and um, Kay Cunningham are going to be able to do in Detroit, who I think is going to not be terrible this year. All right. What is your bold prediction for the Eastern Conference? The Pistons make the playoffs. That's fair. I could see that happening. Uh, For me, I think that the Nets are going to have an, a terrific regular season, finish as a top two seed in the conference, but end up getting bounced in the second round of the playoffs, leading to another summer of dysfunction. All right, who's winning the Eastern Conference, though? The Milwaukee Bucks. Yep, we are in agreement there. I also have the Milwaukee Bucks. All right, let's play our game of buffoonery. Run through this so we can make our extreme rules predictions, which admittedly I had totally forgot about to this moment. All right, so James hit Harden, a beloved NBA player for the show, said no one. Um, a lot of people were excited to see what he's going to be able to do. Apparently he's lost over 100 pounds this summer, says he's in great shape, blah, blah, blah. I'll believe it when I see it. However, it was caught on tape following a practice, Doc Rivers talking to James Harden where he said, we need you to be the aggressive James that you were those last five minutes. And it's gonna take a while, but when it clicks, James, we're gonna be unbeatable. Uh, James Harden also mentioned in another interview that he felt like he was back to MVP form saying, I've always said if my conditioning can be at the level of my skill set, my IQ, and I put the work in, it's MVP. Believable or buffoonery, James Harden is primed to bounce back this year. I think so. I don't think he's going to bounce back in the form of like MVP form, but I could definitely look I definitely think he's going to be better this season because if he is in shape and he is well-conditioned and his hamstring isn't bothering him, I think he can be a really serviceable player for the Sixers. Yeah, you and I are in agreement. I I don't like James Harden. I'll be the first to admit it, but I recognize good athletes when I see him. And James Harden, we have seen him play at some really good levels when he is in shape and when he is healthy. I do think that he can mess around and have a really good year for the 76ers. All right, let's go ahead and move on. During the NBA preseason, they face not just other NBA teams, but they also do some traveling, whether that could be to Australia, play some games in Seattle, all across the board. NBA teams get a little bit of everything during the NBA preseason. However, um, Justin Anderson, former NBA player, mentioned that he would like to see a change made to the preseason schedule. He said it would be a great idea for the G League to also play preseason games versus the NBA. He added, in all seriousness, it would be a great idea. Um, everyone should see why it's not easy to be a part of the 450 because there's hoopers everywhere. Y'all finding out about Craig Randall last night, I see, watch the G League. And so, believable or buffoonery, 
as a good way to promote the talents of the G League, the NBA and G League should play each other in the preseason. I think it's believable. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I think that's a great idea as well. Just simply because it, you're able to showcase guys in the G League that might, especially if you have like inter team G League and like NBA G League games, like I'm thinking the Memphis Grizzlies versus the Memphis Hustle. But like that way you could potentially show a guy like say Kennedy Chandler who got who got drafted for us but obviously won't be making the main roster due to the position that he plays. But if you're able to have a game where let's say they play against the Grizzlies, you can showcase his talents or you can just showcase the talents of different guys. Cause I agree, it's a lot of guys in the G League that are very talented. They just can make the lead from varying situations from varying situations. So I it's believable. Yeah, and we're in agreement on that. All right, this is let's talk about your favorite team, the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have just been so talkative this offseason. Um, one of the latest interesting remarks came from D'Angelo Russell, who um, said via an interview with Sirius XM NBA Radio, I don't think anybody wants to match up against us. They do have the interesting dynamic of Rudy Gobert and Cat in their front court, back court being Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell. So believable or buffoonery, the Minnesota Timberwolves are the toughest NBA team to match up against. No. It's for, for multiple reasons. Cat can foul out so fast because he don't play defense. And D'Angelo Russell, bro, you, you're. I used to actually like D'Lo, but like you had like two good seasons. You had a good season in Brooklyn, then you got traded to an actual winning culture in Golden State, and you haven't been the same. The only player that I would agree to this sentiment is Anthony Edwards. Because even with Rudy Gobert, if you go small, you can play Rudy Gobert off the court. Yeah. So, no. Yeah, I'm also calling buffoonery on that. I mean, but I mean, they once again, Ethan, as a friendly reminder, they do have generational talents in Cat and Rudy Gobert. So. The only generational talent on their team is Anthony Edwards. They need to stop playing with themselves. They can't help it. They cannot help. Man, I wish the Memphis game I was going to was against um, not Tennessee, against uh, the Timberwolves. That'd be great. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to defenders. Bam Adebayo was talking about some of the best defensive players in the league and said this. Me, Draymond, and probably Giannis, three guys who can literally guard one through five and be effective. So, and he also added, um, switch on to a Kyrie, switch on to KD, switch on to Joel Embiid. The thing about guards winning is that they don't be down there. They don't want to be in that semicircle. So, believable or buffoonery, Draymond, Bam, and Giannis are the top three defensive players in the NBA today. They're the top three most versatile. I wouldn't, it just depends on how you look at it because if you're looking at it from solely a rim protection standpoint, then you obviously have Rudy Gobert. Right. If you're looking at it from the standpoint of like perimeter defense, then you have a Marcus Smart or a Drew Holiday. But I do think that Bam, Draymond, and Giannis, they are the most versatile because they might not be able to. Like, they're not going to be able to guard Kyrie 
for a whole game. But if you switch Kyrie onto them, onto them, they're very serviceable in keeping up with a guy like Kyrie. And they can guard a guy like Joel and B. So I won't say they're the best defenders, but they're the best in the, in the stance of versatility. Yeah, I would agree with you with regards to the versatility. I mean, they are all mobile enough to be able to guard, to guard multiple different positions. All right, last one. So this was a team that didn't get mentioned too much when we did our Eastern Conference breakdown, but they are still confident nonetheless, and that is the Orlando Magic, who Markel Fultz said, I truly believe we can be the fourth seed. I think we're going to do some special things this year. I'm not even going to waste your time asking if you think they'll be a top four seed. But, believable or buffoonery, the Orlando Magic will make the playoffs this year. I'm calling buffoonery. Nope. E for effort, though. I like the confidence. And I think y'all will be fun to watch. But, no, you're not You're not winning. You're not making the playoffs. All right, last but certainly not least, this Saturday, which, Loki, I still hate that they move pay-per-views to Saturdays, it will be extreme rules, and it will actually be extreme Thank you, Triple H. Pretty loaded card, and I'm not going to lie. I am I feel like uh, we're both probably at a disadvantage because I haven't watched SmackDown in months, and I don't know how much wrestling you've been watching since the last pay-per-view. I think that was uh, SummerSlam. So this will be fun. I No, I lied. There was a pay-per-view since SummerSlam. I don't remember the name of it. Leave me alone. But so starting things off with a good old-fashioned Donnybrook match, which I have no clue what that is. It is the Brawling Brutes made up of Rich Holland, Pete Dunn, because I'm not calling him Butch, and Sheamus versus Imperium, made up of Gunther, Fabian Eichner, who I don't know his new name, and Martel Bartel, another guy who I don't know his new name yet. But who you got, Imperium or the Brawling Brutes? I got the Brawling Brutes. Uh, yeah, I think the Donnie Brook match, the same match that Sheamus and Drew McIntyre had on their random SmackDown. Like I said, I'm so I haven't I have not watched SmackDown since I moved here. And that was in July. So I'm very much so out of the loop, but I'm sure it'll be good nonetheless. All right, extreme rules match for the SmackDown Women's Championship, Liv Morgan versus Ronda Rousey. I got Liv Morgan because screw Ronda Rousey. Uh, yeah, I got Liv Morgan. All right, a strap match between Drew McIntyre and Karrion Cross. I got Karrion Cross because He's been back for a few months now, and I don't. I think this might be like only his second or third match since being back. I don't think you can have him lose, even though I don't love strike matches. Yeah, I'm the Greeks for the exact same reason too. All right, an I quit match between Finn Balor and Edge. I think Edge wins, even though I think Finn should win. It's gonna be. All right, ladder match for the Raw Women's Championship. We have my my girl, Bianca Belair, defending her title against Bayley. I'm going to say Bianca, but I would not be shocked if Bayley won. I hope she doesn't, but I think Bianca wins. I'm going to say Bayley. I think they're going to screw Bianca some type of way. Of course, why not? You can't have women leave, lose clean no more. Um, And then finally, the fight pit. With Daniel Cormier serving as the special guest referee. We have Matt Riddle versus Seth Rollins. I don't know if you guys know this, but I do love me a good fight pit match. The first one with Matt Riddle versus Timothy Thatcher, I want to say was like my favorite NXT match of 2020. So I'm very excited for this. I got Matt Riddle. 
What is a fight team match? So it's essentially you're fighting in like a cage. It's not a steel cage, not hell in a cell, but it's kind of similar to like a uh, uh, octagon. Yeah, but not an octagon. And so it's it's not like an actual like MMA or UFC match. It's like it's still a wrestling match, but it's just kind of like the environment that it's in, and it's very physical. It's I'll I'll send you a picture of it. It's hard to describe, but okay. it's yeah, it, I'm, it's I'm, basically. I'm you say who? I'm going Matt Ridley. I just yeah, it just threw me off when you said fight pit. Yeah, I got you. I'll. It's hard to describe because there hasn't been one in a couple years, but I mean they're they're pretty banger. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for um, exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you would like to say before we close this bad boy out? Uh, I'm looking forward to going to this preseason game tomorrow, even though I. A part of these highly like starters are gonna play. I might be wrong, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the games this season starting up. Uh, looking for Zion looks great in his return. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm in full football mode. I know uh, LSU is playing Tennessee on Saturday, so go Tigers! Very excited to see us whoop they butt in Baltimore. I feel like a bad Ravens fan because I picked y'all to lose back-to-back weeks. I was right last week. Prove me wrong this week. Please. I would love to be wrong. I want to win. I want to be 3-2. and two. I really do, but I just... Ugh, it's been it's been weird being a Ravens fan this year. Like, I love the team, but it's just been so, so many highs and so many lows, and we're literally just the first week in the year. So, but ball out. Be great. Win your games. Go Tigers, go. I don't know who Memphis plays on Saturday, but either way. I think they play Houston on tomorrow. Yeah, screw, yes, they do play tomorrow. Well, screw Houston. Rooting for my Tigers, both LSU and Memphis, and my NFL Tigers as well. Um, but yeah, that's all I got. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>